Welcome to Biblical Foundations, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm your co-host, Jimmy Rowe, along with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Join us as we discuss issues in biblical scholarship for the church. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. I'm here with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Today, our guest is Dr. Patrick Schreiner. Patrick is Assistant Professor of New Testament at Western Seminary. He is the author of a recent volume titled Matthew, Disciple and Scribe, the First Gospel and its Portrait of Jesus. Published by Baker Academic in 2019. Patrick, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. Uh, well, uh, to start with the obvious um, leading question, you're the son of a well-known father in American evangelicalism and Southern Baptist life. Uh, I've read uh, the moving tribute you gave just, oh, I think, yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Feels like a long time ago right now. Uh, long days here. <laughs> father, uh, who was presented with a festschrift uh, volume honoring him on biblical theology, uh, right. published by B&H Academic. And so, uh, you know, I think it'd be fascinating to hear a little more about, you know, what was it like to grow up as the son of Tom Schreiner? And, mm-hmm. and more importantly, how has that influenced you and your career as a teacher, as a scholar? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was just an honor to honestly uh, grow up in that family, a family that was centered on the Bible and on the gospel. And um, as I said in my tribute to my parents, it wasn't something that they just taught, but they lived which I think has the biggest impact upon you. I mm-hmm. mean, if you have someone who teaches something but doesn't live it, that's actually going to have a negative influence. And so mm-hmm. I, th- I mean, you lot have a lot of PKs out there, or, um, different different people who have actually been hurt because their parents have been in ministry and um, maybe they've been neglected in certain ways or been hurt by the church or maybe even their parents have been hurt um, by people in ministry and that hurts them. And so honestly, I just feel... Um, really um, privileged that I was able to be, and I still am, in that family in many ways. And um, they're just, especially my dad, he's just a model uh, scholar in my mind in terms of how he interacts with opposing views. And Uh um, he believes what the Bible says, but he's kind in his approach to others. And so he holds views that many disagree with, but he's never angry about it. Um, And he, even in my tribute to him, um, he's always pushing me to see the good in other people's views, even if he disagrees with it. Uh-huh. And so he's always pushing towards that more positive side, which is a, a great model for me just moving forward. So I, I could say, you could, if you want to ask sure. more, but I could say so much more in terms of how it formed me and my interests. Yes, but, I, yeah. you know, I, I can second that. I've known your dad, of course, for uh, several decades, and mm. uh, he and I co-edited the first book I yeah, ever right. had a party in Women yeah. in the Church, and, yeah. and, and, and again, on a, on a controversial topic and yeah it's just such a privilege to be uh allied and, and associated with someone right. like your dad who is like you said very ironic and who just uh you know is very convictional but 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 interacts with with, with others right. in a way that is yes. that is um very charitable that's right and, yeah and uh, he instilled in me that trust of the scriptures love of the scriptures mm-hmm. uh, maybe where i differ from him not differ theologically but he does more pauline work and i'm kind of stepping more into gospel and narrative right. work which yeah. mm-hmm. um i went to southern and studied under uh, jonathan pennington and he kind yeah. of stirred my love for the gospels and so mm-hmm. he does a little bit of everything but mm-hmm. um right now i've kind of been focusing a little bit more on narrative texts and so, trying to argue that jesus knows more than paul and things like that mm-hmm. yes well um yeah, <laughs> i'm just kidding I mean, i'm just kidding i, I love the <laughs> Gospels myself, and uh, and that's a that's a perfect segue to uh, you know 
turn now to your book, uh, Matthew, uh, Disciple and, and Scribe. Uh, you, um, you say at the very outset that uh, you're mostly interested in, in, in Matthew's theology and mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. rather than in Matthewan authorship. Again, can you just explain to our yeah, listeners yeah. who might not have read your book yet, right. uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So, so what I'm trying to do in my Matthew book is kind of make a twofold argument. Number one, Matthew is a disciple and scribe of Jesus, his teacher of wisdom. So Matthew's narrative is structured um, with narratives and discourse. And you have Matthew kind of blocking Jesus's teaching together. And so many have recognized that Jesus is a prominent teacher. He's actually called a teacher uniquely in Matthew's gospel. And so just kind of picking up, Jesus is definitely more than a teacher. Uh, he's a savior. He's the son of God. But my my work was more focused on this. I did want to focus on Jesus as this teacher and Matthew as um his disciple, yes, but not only his disciple, but the one one of the disciples who wrote down in narrative form um, the life of Jesus. And so that's kind of the first section of the book. And then the second section of the book, I go into, well, what does that work look like? And so what I look, I wanted to look at was not um, just pieces of the narrative, but what I tried to do, maybe some chapters more successfully than others, but um, tried to look at the the narrative whole, kind of a biblical theological view of how Jesus is um, a new Moses, a new Israel, new Abraham, new David. And, and I think sometimes we just focus on where David or Moses or Abraham's name comes up. But I wanted to look more at the echoes through the whole narrative. So so I'm getting to your question a long, <laughs> a long way. But sure. um, I wanted to focus on the narrative and theology because I think Matthew's theology comes through his narrative because he's writing a story and he's communicating his theological points through the Uh story that he writes. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to focus on that part. Um, I have a long footnote, somewhat long footnote at the beginning that says, Uh I'm not going to focus on Matthew authorship. And and why did I do that? My editor kept talking to me about that point as well. Hmm. And here's my, here's my thing. Number one, um, either you're convinced or not convinced by Matthew authorship. And for those who are convinced I'm preaching to the choir. And so I could spend time on Matthew and authorship and that would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the people who already agree would be falling asleep during that time. And they, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good books that you could read on that. Then for those who are not convinced by Matthew and authorship, I think I would be digging myself into a hole because they wouldn't accept the rest of my premises of my book. So I felt like it was kind of a lose-lose situation if I was going to argue very strongly for Matthean authorship. In other words, I'm just preaching to the choir or I'm losing people actually reading the rest of the book and accepting um, the points that I have. So what I did at the beginning was I said, this just work isn't going to discuss Matthean authorship. Now, um, where this comes into play is I am arguing that Matthew is a follower of Jesus who learned from his teacher. Mm -hmm. So if you separate the author of Matthew pretty far down the line from Jesus, then you're losing that tight connection with the teacher and disciple. Mm -hmm. And so the further you get away, the more my argument doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I am as as someone who is writing, I'm, I was assuming Matthew authorship just from early church attestation, um, from what we have in the narrative itself, but it just wasn't what I wanted to argue for. I wanted to say, I'm just going to assume it and move forward from uh-huh. there because I've got other things to talk about. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, you know, again, don't take that as a general pushback. I'm just sharing 
Oh yeah. No, my no. my own experience uh, in, for instance, writing my theology of John's Gospel and letters was very different because I felt like if I'm talking about someone's theology, it really matters whose theology I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. In other words, who is that John? Right, whose gotcha. theology I'm talking yeah. about, and so I actually ended up uh, feeling compelled to spend quite a bit of time defending mm -hmm. Johanna and authorship yeah. because I felt like right. you articulated it's inextricably linked, especially mm -hmm. in terms of eyewitness testimony, oh, right. in terms of the credibility of the mm -hmm. witness, yep. and so I I knew that there was going to be some people who were not mm -hmm. going to be with me, yeah, yeah, certainly, uh, but I at least gave it my best shot, right, and I right. was hoping that yeah. even if they didn't agree they yeah. would hopefully still mm -hmm. keep reading to learn more about right. his narrative art mm -hmm. his thematic development yeah. and so forth so all i'm saying is there could be different strategies certainly depending yeah. on your intended if i did a commentary i'd probably do it much differently mm -hmm. but just for the yeah. purposes of this book right. i thought i'd focus on something else mm -hmm. and I, I agree with you about the yeah. eyewitness part if you take away the eyewitness or close relationship to Jesus part, my argument starts unraveling right. pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 so, embedded in the argument. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But I do think there's other good resources that yeah. people can read on that. Just taking a step back a little bit, in the second half of the book, you take a more thematic approach. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so what are some of the themes you're exploring there briefly? And Yep. How does that fit within your overall narrative approach? Right. Yeah. So I look at a few figures and, and what I try to do is connect those figures to events. So I think sometimes we um, look at these figures and we just say, oh, he's the new David. And then to kind of stop there. Um, but I try to tie David to the goal of the kingdom, um, Moses, new exodus, Israel, exile. Um, did I do any other ones? Uh yeah, Abraham family. That was the last one. Abraham family. That's right. Um, and I think all those themes collide. You can't ultimately separate that because the new exodus is towards the kingdom. Um, the kingdom includes a new family. Uh, you have to come out of exile. But um, I, I wanted to look at um, these figures and say, well, he's not just the new David again and stop there, but saying he's the new David leading them to the new kingdom. He's inaugurating the new kingdom and he will consummate it on the last day. So, um, yeah, in the, in the first part, I look at, um, what I call the geographical journey of the Davidic King. And I just note that Matthew, um, like Mark and like Luke, unlike John, um, has a distinct kind of geographical focus where he starts in Jerusalem, spends most of his ministry in Galilee, and then he returns to Jerusalem. And that there's, I think that's kind of an exile theme, honestly, for the king. And that David went through kind of similar exiles. Um, Saul kicked him out or he ran away in Absalom. So one of the big parts of Matthew 1 and 2 is how can this be the Messiah if he's from Nazareth, if he's up in Galilee, if he's uh, went into Egypt, and so, so forth and so on. And Matthew continually brings them back to the Old Testament and says, no, 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 look back at the Old Testament. This is what was supposed to happen to your Davidic Messiah. So the very first words of the gospel is Jesus in the uh the beginning of the gospel, right? Jesus is the, the son of David. And so I take that kind of cue from David. And then that first chapter, I just trace, okay, that geographical journey of him being rejected in Jerusalem, while Jews could say, oh, like, how could our Messiah be rejected in Jerusalem, the city that he is supposed to come into? Well, that is what happened to David. And so I think reading, kind of going back to your point, reading the Old Testament more carefully and, and bringing those things up, 
um, enlightens what Matthew's doing. I, I call those shadow stories. So every time uh, people call them different things, I just kind of wanted to avoid the typology, allegory, figural, all these different languages that people get all mm-hmm. into. I just am like, it's a shadow story because it's not just a figure who's echoing an Old Testament narrative, but it's places, it's rivers. It's it, He's using a, a lot of what Jesus is interacting with to bring up these, these kind of echoes mm-hmm. of the old testament and, and we're supposed to read those echoes to see how matthew's main word i i think is f- to fulfill those narratives so right. what was left incomplete in david's life is now completed in the messiah who is the davidic son yeah so um in terms of the genre of the gospel uh and you just talked about figural and um mm. there's one quote i was hoping you could unpack it a little bit um Page nine, you say the gospel presents a figural reading of Jesus's life as the master discourse. Mm, yeah. What do you mean by that? What do that? I mean by that? Page nine. What did I mean by that? Well, I, I think the genre is a biography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm pretty convinced by Richard Burridge and his work on that. And so uh, a form of biography, not a modern biography, but an ancient biography. Um, yeah, I, I guess I did use figural reading there. What, what, do I, what do I mean by that? It goes back to um, Jesus's life is styled in a way that Jewish readers are going to pick up on certain things in his life. So a figural reading as the master discourse is that in every narrative, I mean, one of the things I push people to see as I teach Matthew is in every narrative, you should be saying what's new and what's old. What's new and what's old. So what what's or another way to put it is what is echoed in the Old Testament here? What what do you hear from the Old Testament narrative? And so just um, I mean, you look at Matthew three, four, and five, he goes into the wilderness, he goes through the water, he goes up on the mountain. Those are in my mind, I mean not everyone else's, but clear mosaic echoes. And then he gives the Sermon on the Mount, again, a prophetic text. But I also think as we look at those, I'm pushing people, I think a lot of people have seen those things, is to see Jesus going up on the mount again and see that actually as a Davidic text as well, that the king was the one who was to embody and teach the law as well. He was to teach his citizens how to live the law. So I think we usually just take the prophetic lens on the Sermon on the Mount, for example. But maybe if we took the monarchy lens as well, we could see some different things as well. Mm-hmm. So you you again have some ancient literature talking about, not even only in the scripture, but outside of the scripture, the king kind of becoming the living law. And I, I kind of like that term. And what you see in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, is Jesus will teach on something let someone strike you on the cheek, and then in the passion, he will allow that to happen to him. So he's not only going to say those words, he's actually going to live the Torah and therefore fulfill the Torah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's, he only fulfills it by living it, but that's a piece of it and how he fulfills it. And so, so yeah. the, the term figural, you would get from people like Richard Hayes, who might, yeah, yeah. Figural reading. Who might get it from Eric Auerbach or other mm-hmm. yeah, li- yeah. literary scholars. Yep. Uh, but you don't necessarily take that uh, to take away from the historical uh, no, no. referentiality of the Matthew no, yeah, narrative. I just did a presentation on Acts, and uh-huh. I um I read this because book because some people do. Like Richard Hayes, he has a very different view. I think in terms of historicity of the 
of the, of yeah, the gospel some, narratives. Maybe some things, yeah. Yeah, I think what... More, more bifurcation between mm-hmm. historical and literary, yeah. focusing primarily into the literary, the literary, which is kind of what yeah. you seem to be doing by focusing yeah. more on narrative, right. putting less emphasis on, see, the historical the history. author. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, um, I think the... Uh, maybe the division that you're talking about, and maybe you're talking about Hayes here, but it's a false division between history and figural reading. Uh, I think all history is presented figurally. We could put it that way. Um, there's no history that's not interpreted. There's no history that's not molded for people's own purposes. There's no such thing as bare history, uh, unless you just want to line up facts and make no story out of it. And so any history that you're telling you are going to tell in a certain way for a certain point. So I think Matthew is a believer in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, and he's telling this story in a certain way, which doesn't make it untrue. It makes it more true. <laughs> it makes it more true because he watched his life. He saw what he did, and he saw that he the things that he did had echoes to the Old Testament. And so I think this is a good historical mm-hmm. retelling in a certain form that has literary payoff. So this just the division between literature and history, I, I just reject that division. I just think it's false. Yeah. It's interesting though, I, I was just reading a book on Acts um, by Golder, uh, Types in History or something like that. It's an older book in like the 60s. And I read through the book and he was drawing all these parallels in Acts. And I was just like, man, Luke is a genius. I know we're talking about Matthew, but now I'm talking about Luke. Um, and, and I was so impressed by the book. And then he got the end. He goes, because he did this, none of this is true because he was making it all up. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I, I just don't agree with that conclusion. I think these, uh, these writers were taking the time to think about how to present these historical events in a way that would convince their audience yeah. Which yeah. which is what we do when you retell events. And so he's presenting a convincing historical, what I'd call figural. So I think we can actually take that literary language and um, redeem it. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like you and that's, say, that's partly what I'm getting at. Yeah. That, you know, uh, I not for a moment thought that you didn't think that there's historical uh, referentiality in, in, in Matthew's narrative. Uh, but sometimes if we appropriate language, there might be certain right, uh, baggage attached to it. Yeah, you know? right, right. Uh, but I think for our uninitiated listeners, I may advocate for them a little bit. I think partly what I'm just fishing for is maybe you can give them a quick gloss of what figural means, or at least what you mean by it. Uh, what yeah. would be a... A paraphrase of that. Yeah. Uh, non technical. Yeah, I haven't thought of a specific uh, definition, but yeah. he's presenting Jesus. I mean, to use the biblical language as a type. Yeah. Right. It's and close so to that. It's, it's as a type. So he's mm-hmm. a figural reading is a um is a a, a literary device mm-hmm. to paint him in a certain way. Yes. And so mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the book, I think I even compare us looking at the gospel like looking at a painting, mm-hmm. and there's certain brush strokes that the different authors are going to use to paint Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, again, make it one's less true or more true, but rather they're going to use different strokes to indicate different things. I'm terrible with definitions, so that's why I like to give images for people because I think people latch on to images better. Sure. So it's, it's, it's a different way of painting his life. Uh-huh. as he viewed because each gospel writer is either having different sources or viewing Jesus in maybe a slightly different way but we need that 
kaleidoscopic view of Jesus. Uh This event is so important. So maybe that's not the best definition of Figaro, but I think you get what I mean by Figaro. It's it's a it's a type. It's a it's an image of him. And so again, one of the things I say in my book is he paints Jesus with a crown upon his head because he's the Davidic Messiah, or he paints him with the staff in his hand, or he paints him as the one who is birthing children, giving you know the new Abraham. He's he's he right. has a new family. Yeah. yeah. yeah Birthing children. Maybe I shouldn't say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to go there. But no, that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but you share that that metaphor in the introduction, I think, to okay. kind of yeah. lay that out. So yeah. it's very yeah. helpful. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Uh, we actually had your father on our podcast <clears throat> a few weeks ago. And nice. he said he learned so much from reading your book. So oh, that's <laughs> nice of him. So that was yeah. a great endorsement of your book. <laughs> so we're happy to have you on. That's funny. Our because podcast. He probably read it when it was a bad book too. You know, <laughs> I'd, I'll send him chapters when it's not very good yet. And mm-hmm. he'll tell me why it's not very good. And then I'll try to make it better. Mm-hmm. But I guess, yeah, it's nice to see it um, all yeah. formatted. So right. yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks so much. It's a great um, example of, you know, fathers mentoring their sons. And yet again, I mean, you're definitely a scholar in your own right, and it's a very significant contribution to Matthew studies. So Mm, please keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun talking to you. That's great to have you. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. For more information, please visit the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern at cbs.mbts.edu. For further resources, please also visit biblicalfoundations.org. Please join us again next time at the Biblical Foundations podcast.